to episode 115 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who actually went somewhere for spring break, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, we're recording on a Monday morning after... Our spring breaks. I guess this is technically still the last yeah, I day think of we're spring break. We're still on spring start, break. Classes start yep. tomorrow. but mm-hmm. Tomorrow night, um, right? No, I think during the day. Really? Pretty sure. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> I think that's Do you have an I, afternoon class tomorrow? I have a oh, morning boy. and an afternoon class. Oh, boy. Um, but, yeah, uh, not much of a spring break for me. I spent most of mine grading from the previous term. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I feel very rested, refreshed out of that, but- you actually got to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, myself and our, our chaplain, Brent, uh, took 15 students to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, visited several other faiths um, while we were there, worked with some refugee populations there in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was a good trip. Good. Yeah, the, uh, the Atlanta, I think, I think a lot of people, at least I didn't realize, how diverse – Atlanta is mm-hmm. in terms of some of the different ethnic populations that that live there. Yeah, uh, Clarkston, Georgia, is becoming, which is just north. Uh, oh my goodness, northeast of the city is becoming a place where the American government is just depositing small pockets of refugees for like uh-huh. the last decade. Okay, and there's something like a ton of different nationalities. The, the, what I kept hearing is that the squ- a square mile in Clarkston, Georgia. The most diverse square mile in America. Over sixty different languages are spoken in that square mile. Hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, we worked with those people, um, and that was that was great. We played with their children. Uh, believe it or not, kids are the same no matter where they are. So <laughs> uh, they were a lot of fun to play with. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter at V and S Pod. Email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and on YouTube, Various and Sundry Podcast. And as always, we would appreciate a, uh, a five-star rating and a review. I was noticing, by the way, no, no new reviews, but we've got something like 60 um, on, the, on the Apple Podcast app, like 60 ratings. I just heard from somebody that they rated us on Spotify. Okay. Which I didn't know was possible. I, but I'm not on Spotify. Are you? Rarely. Like okay. I have a Spotify account. I don't use it very much. Okay. So I, I'd be interested to see what people are saying and writing on we'll Spotify. We'll have to check that out. But I noticed we have one somebody gave us a four star rating instead of a five. So we what? have like sixty five star ratings and someone gave us a four. <sighs> I mean, it was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, yeah. Did they write a review with that? They did not. Okay, cowards. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Yeah, there it is. One four-star rating. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. That upsets me. So uh, let's talk about something that doesn't upset you. We're going to get baseball back. I know. Baseball came to an agreement and a deal. Now, I just know that they agreed and they're going to start the season April 7th. 7th. And – do all 162 in mm-hmm. terms of the game. So they're going to figure out some way to jimmy-rig the 
season to squeeze in those extra games. Yeah, they're going to th- start a week a week late, basically, right? Yes, yes. It was supposed to start like March 31st, uh, but April 7th is close, and they're going to add in every team is going to play like six double headers or something along the way. Yeah. So that's how they're going to make up that time and finish roughly on time. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I have no sense of who won in that negotiation. Do you feel like it was pretty evenly split where players got something, owners got something? Yeah, that's the sense I get is uh, players wanted a much higher threshold for the luxury tax. So mm-hmm. in baseball, once you hit a certain spending limit, you got to pay a tax to the league. Right. Uh, and so there were two levels of that. Uh, now there are four levels oh, of that. Uh, and uh, the, la- the the very top one is being called the Steve Cohen tax, the, the owner of the Mets. <laughs> so that tells you what they think of him. Uh, and however, the, the limit did go up. So I think the players are pretty, pretty pleased with that. Okay. The, the younger players are going to get more money now as well. So, and I think that was a big piece of what they wanted. Yeah. I think I saw the, the new minimum salary now is 700,000. Yeah, that, that sounds number? right. And I think it was in the threes or fours before. Okay. So it's, it's doubled. <laughs> I'm glad to see they're going to be able to keep up with inflation. Well, I'm glad the lights are going to stay on for yeah, those guys. Yeah, you know, it's you know, those those poor guys just struggling along at their penthouses aren't cheap. Piddly three hundred and seventy five thousand yeah. <laughs> a year. You know. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's that's good. It's good. Uh, excited to have baseball back, and you know, it feels like spring's almost here now. Yeah, and and starting April seventh, that's right around the time. I don't know when the NCAA tournament championship game is, but. That'll be about the time that most people probably start mm-hmm. turning towards baseball a little bit, paying attention. Yeah. Instead of having that overlap of like they start when the NCAA tournament's still going on, baseball fans are going to watch anyway. But sure. I think sometimes that can get lost in the excitement of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of which, the bracket is set. Yeah. It's out. I haven't even looked at it yet. Uh, I saw I saw parts of the reveal show last night. Um. And uh, yeah, I I haven't done my bracket yet. I've I've you know registered that I'm going to do one, but I haven't completed my bracket yet. So uh, I think we looked before we came on air. We got like 20 people already signed up. 20 people, and you don't have to know anything about sports to do it. But the link will be in the show notes. Yeah, fill, fill out a bracket. Absolutely, um, send it to a friend. Yes, you know? uh, we had like 32 competing last year. Uh, something like that. Yeah. We would love to see that increase. Um, so I'm hopeful that, that we can, uh, get even more participants in that. And we're going to offer a prize. Yep. We did last year, but you won. So that didn't really, that didn't really work out, work out. But if you win and please, someone has to dethrone John Sloat from his, from his, uh, championship here. We can't let him go back to back. We will contact you. We'll get in touch with you and... We'll see which of my books you'd like a signed copy of, and we'll get that out to you. Yeah, uh, but we just determined not the dissertation. Yeah, probably not the dissertation. Um, By the way, did you see a couple of people name their bracket, give me the dissy, or ask for (laughs) dissertation? Did you see that? (laughs) No. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. I mean, trust me, people. Do do you really want that? Like – where else can you get a book that has four languages in it, you know? Four or five. Uh, English, Greek, Hebrew, French, German, five. Five. Five languages. Yeah. Where else can you get that book, you know? Uh, from your local library. 
Mm. <laughs> Where so, else can you get a signed copy of okay, a book like that? Okay, that, that may be harder to come from by. From an author that knows five languages well enough to write in them. Uh, yeah. You heard it here. Yeah. Matt so, Harmon writes in five languages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fake news. Uh, so the tournament actually starts – Well, this episode will release on Tuesday – and that will be the, the first day of the, of the play-in games, the first four, whatever they call them. Um, and you know we don't want to give any spoilers away in terms of what we're going to pick in terms of our brackets, though neither of us have actually done our brackets. Nope. So we don't know yet. Um, but uh, I, I will go on record as saying um, I have absolutely zero confidence in my Ohio State Buckeyes to do anything in this tournament. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm actually going to pick against them. Okay. In which the first pro- round. Which probably means they'll make a deep run, right? You know, what I are they, what's their rank? They're a seventh seed. Okay. And they play th- – this is this is God's way of indicating that they're going to lose. You ready for this? I mean they, they struggled down the stretch. They drew Loyola Chicago, <laughs> Sister Jean. I mean God is clearly on their side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. Okay. So, the, yeah, they're a seventh seed. Loyola Chicago is a 10 seed, and I think a lot of people are going to pick Loyola Chicago in that game. Okay. So anyway, it will be interesting to see. I've watched most of the most of the basketball I've watched has been either Big Ten, some Big Twelve, um, but outside of that, I haven't watched a lot of other. Like I haven't watched much Pac-12, so I don't really know much about any, anything about Arizona. They're a one seed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gonzaga is a one seed, so I feel like Gonzaga is perpetually a one or two seed. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, and they just always seem to falter. Yeah, they've not been able to to seal the deal. A lot of people are picking them this year to do that. Of course, they are. They always do. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Do you have a strategy for picking bracket games? Um. You know that little info button where it's like, what's the most popular pick? I look at those yeah. things. That's about as much research as I do. I mean, obviously, there's the historic you five know, twelve five twelve upset. upset yep. You know, where the every year at least one twelve seed's going to win. Yep, yep. I try not to root with my heart, which is easy because I'm not a huge college sports right. fan. Uh, but no, no real plan other than like I got a good feeling about this team. Yeah. Okay. It'll, I think it could be pretty wide open because I don't think there's a dominant team. Yeah. When I get when I get closer to the Final Four, I pick based on coaching usually versus the team itself. Yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, – speaking of coaching, this is Coach K's last ride through the tournament. So yeah. uh, Duke doesn't exactly come in on a strong note, so we'll see how far they get. But um, one other uh, sports note. Two others. Two others, yes. Uh, well, let's leave with the bad news then that's left. Okay. Breaking news last night, so Sunday night. The the what are we even calling him? He's back. Yeah. He who shall not be named <laughs> has returned. Yes. Uh he his retirement lasted all of 6 weeks. If 2 months. That, if that. Yeah. I the baseball lockout lasted longer than his retirement. <laughs> I don't know if you saw some of this on social media, but people posting memes like, uh, if you think you're a bad parent, 
Tom Brady spent two months at home with his wife that. and kids yep. and decided to unretire. So, <laughs> um, yeah, not a fan. But anyway, Tom Brady's back. He's back. Luckily, he's he's in the NFC. What is that? South. Yes, and I never see him other than the playoffs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Though we saw him in person. We did. Year. We saw him in person this year in Indianapolis. <laughs> the Colts um, game we went to. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you see the guy that uh, bought his last touchdown pass, the ball, for like half a million dollars? Mm-hmm. And now it's no longer his last right. touchdown pass? I, I heard I, – I didn't know what he – I knew there was a guy that did that. I saw people joking about it on social media. Yeah, it was like 548000 yeah. or something like that he got it for. Oof. That's a bad day. Yeah. Now it's just a football. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, props to the guy who sold it. Yeah, he, absolutely. He when the market in, was he, hot, he hit the market right at the right time there. Absolutely. So. Last uh, sports note is uh, our own Grace College Lancers. That's right. Advanced to the Sweet Sixteen mm-hmm. in the NAIA National Tournament, and they play Thursday. They play this upcoming Thursday. That's uh, right. We'll try to tweet out a link to that game. I imagine there's a streaming service available for that. Yeah, though that's Do probably behind pay a paywall. It? You think so? So, yeah, thankfully this past weekend was not because they do it in these pods. So basically they had 64 teams. They did 16 uh, four-team pods all around the country. And so the winners of each pod advance into the uh, Sweet 16. And so Grace played at Olivet Nazarene, which was a two-seed. And um, their first game they beat a team – Cumberland. Yes, that they should have beaten more handily than they did. They had a large lead throughout the game and then nearly choked it away. Then against uh, the team they played against Olivet Nazarene, they were down 12 at the half because two guys on Olivet Nazarene just lost their minds and went crazy. Like one guy had 26, one guy had 22 in the first half. Wow. 48 of their 55 points from two guys. And then in the second half, you know, Water finds its level. The law of averages mm-hmm. kind of kicks in. And uh, Grace won uh, in an exciting comeback fashion. Uh, they won by three. I think it was yeah. 90 to 87. Mm-hmm. So uh, peaking at the right time. Yeah. I, I, they, I, I can't picture them winning a national title, but it wouldn't surprise me if they made it to the final four. I mean, you're in the Sweet 16. You got a shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you got to put together how many more games? Uh, you got to win four. Four more games, and and you got a good shot. Yeah, yeah. the The talent is there. I just don't know about experience, but and they're young. Matchup is matchups are always tricky. So if it's not behind a paywall, we'll tweet out that link. How's yeah, that sound? yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. So, uh, speaking of things that are not behind a paywall, <laughs> let's talk some Andy Stanley sermons. Oh my goodness, a sermon actually, a sermon. Yeah. And why do we choose this sermon, Doc? Well, it's a combination of factors. Yeah. The uh, I so you were in Atlanta, and was actually in, Atlanta. in this yeah. church, you attended Andy Stanley's church yeah. as part of the Go Encounter trip you were do, on. Do you want me to explain a little bit about the church yeah. and service? Sure. Yes. Yeah, okay. Do that. So we've stayed in this area of uh, Atlanta called Buckhead, and if you're not familiar with Atlanta, Buckhead is sort of like the ritzy area Uh of town. And so uh, we saw this church was two blocks from our hotel, and we just walked there on Sunday morning. 
uh, I had like at least Googled it and figured out that it was an Andy Stanley church. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, okay, we can go there. And so we walked in and they immediately identified us as a large group and had somebody there to welcome us, uh, escorted us up, walked with us the whole time, asked us what we were doing. Somebody, a volunteer from that church was talking to us as a group until the service started. Like okay. incredibly welcoming. Uh, what's not so welcoming, they did not have any <laughs> coffee oh. in the in the building for guests. Mm. Um, big red flag. <laughs> uh, that co- is the 10th mark of a healthy church. Yes, yes, uh, in a basic human right in worship <laughs> services. Uh, anyway, um, so the music starts, and it is like, as you can imagine at an Andy Stanley church, it is like, you know— like your whole body's shaking with the music, mm-hmm. right? Uh, three songs, campus pastor gets up there and talks for a minute, and he's clearly stalling because their services are streamed. Uh, so it's it's he's stalling and trying to time it just right. Okay. Uh, and he does. Uh, a giant screen descends on the stage, and it you can tell it's a screen, mm-hmm. but it's – supposed to simulate that he's like there on stage yeah um not convincing but it's supposed to be like that and so that that's sort of the experience uh of okay. it and and you want to know what they came up to up to me in the middle of the service handed me a big box is like hey instead of having your group rush the welcome center after we brought all the gifts for your group here okay and they just they just handed it to us okay so props to them for their very welcoming yeah they must have had staff members, all their job was to talk to people until the service started. Yeah, that's believable. Be welcoming, kind, identify guests. They, they did a great job of that. Okay, nice. And then the sermon started. Do you know um, how many satellite campuses they have? Any uh, that's sense? a good question. Um, I don't. Okay, uh, I was just curious. I'm sure it's more than two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this one was huge. I, I mean, this one took up a city block, and the auditorium probably held 750 and it wow. was a satellite. Okay. And how many services on for that for that tic- uh, two? Okay. Two, a nine and an eleven, and you were in and out in an hour. Okay. Good old American efficiency. Yeah, in and out in an hour. Okay. All right. So, you had you had texted me that you went to Andy Stanley's church, mm-hmm. and then later that day, I saw someone tweet out a a quote from the sermon. It was Andy himself, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I saw someone quote tweet Andy Stanley's okay. tweet. So you don't follow Andy? I do not. Okay. I didn't even know he was on Twitter, to tell you the truth. Uh, and basically, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something along the lines of um, our faith does not rest in the inspiration and inerrancy of 66 books. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he used the word inspiration or inerrancy, right, in, in the tweet? Uh, he might have used inerrant, I think. I think he's since taken it down. Oh, really? I think he took the tweet down. Interesting. Um, though it's basically just a quote of the kind of the summary on their website of the, um, of the sermon. Okay. I have it right here, okay. actually. The Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient document – it rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Nazareth. I saw the in, – the in, he, he mentions inerrancy briefly, like in passing in the sermon. So. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So 
Do you want to? So he's starting to to set the stage, maybe. Yeah, he's starting a series in Luke. Yep, it appears that way. Yep, and basically saying that uh, he begins the sermon by welcoming everybody uh, and says, "You may be questioning your faith. You may be doing all these things." The Gospel of Luke invites you to question the faith uh, because Luke actually investigated this himself, mm-hmm. and he's reporting back to Theophilus what he has discovered in the midst of his investigation, and he's sort of inviting his church along to investigate along the way. Is that a, is that a fair summary of how he begins? I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, what what does he say, Matt? I mean, you're you're chomping at the bit here. I. Uh, Hold on. Let me get my clock ready. <laughs> There's just so much you could go with here. But I, I want to hit some of the things he says and uh, and go from there. And and I, I watched the sermon on YouTube, and it's got the subtitles and everything. So I'm, I'm like – I got direct quotes. These are not my paraphrases. These are direct quotes. Uh Christians are not expected to believe what we believe based on a collection of ancient manuscripts written by men who never met each other over the course of hundreds of years in a time when everybody was superstitious and everybody believed in the gods and there was no modern science. That's direct quote number one. Then he talks about how the Christian faith is investigable, which good, true, absolutely. absolutely. Agree with him 100%. And then this is the quote from the sermon that that tweet is based on. The Christian faith does not rise or fall on the accuracy or the inerrancy of 66 ancient documents that we call books of the Bible. It rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a big problem. Do you want to go into why? Uh I think it's better. Let me give the the. Let me get some other quotes in okay. the summary, okay. and then we'll kind of circle back to some. Sorry, some I, I, I no, ruined. No, you're good. No, yeah. you're good. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we shouldn't ask: Is there a God, or is the Bible true? But is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of events? Uh, numerous times he uses the quote: "The story of Jesus is not a Bible story." We'll come back to that. Um, Luke is – and then as he's talking about Luke, Luke is not writing the Bible. Luke didn't have any idea there would ever be the Bible. Luke didn't know if his document would survive the first century. Luke had no idea if anyone would read it other than the person he's writing it for. He's not writing the Bible. The Gospel of Luke isn't part of the Bible. The Gospel of Luke is something that was included in the collection of documents that was eventually titled The Bible. Uh, continue on. We shouldn't take Luke seriously because it's in the Bible. We shouldn't take the Gospel of Luke seriously because it's in the Bible. He says that twice. Luke's account was written 300 years before the Bible was assembled. Luke's account of the life of Jesus didn't become reliable when it was placed in the collection of documents we call the Bible. Luke's account of the life of Jesus was included in the Bible because Luke's account was considered reliable when it was written. Element of truth in that. Uh, and then he goes on to make some other points. Luke cannot be mistaken. He's either telling the truth or lying. Um, he makes a big deal of Luke basically wrote this gospel account for one guy so he could get it. 
never dreaming that it would be copied, distributed, etc. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's probably good enough to give a flavor of some of the okay broad strokes. Why are these things problems, Matt? Well, there's any number of reasons. Um, and I'm going to start by making a, 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 a clarification here. This is entirely irresponsible on his part because he knows better. Mm-hmm. He is a seminary trained pastor who has a master's of theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. Yeah. This is not some untrained, uneducated pastor who's just kind of doing his best to understand. This is someone who knows better. Mm-hmm. And this is what is so disappointing about this kind of approach to scripture is that he makes he, – he drives this wedge between Jesus and the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most fundamental problem with this whole message is he's trying to draw this – understood the most charitably. He's trying to clear away obstacles for people to encounter the real Jesus. People who might say, well, I can't believe that God created the world in six days. I can't believe in a God who orders the genocide of populations in the in the promised land. I can't – so all these sort of objections about the Bible, I think what he's trying to do is say, OK, let's, let's, let's ignore that. Let's just get you an encounter with Jesus and then we'll go from there, mm-hmm. which on one level I understand because the central defining issue is in fact – who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. How do we know who Jesus is? Mm-hmm. It's the Bible. That's it. That's the list. That's how we know who Jesus is. And if you drive this wedge between Jesus and the Bible, then yes, you might in one sense gain an audience. But then what you're inviting people to do is to essentially create a Jesus of their own making if they're free to dismiss what the Bible says mm-hmm. about Jesus. And that's deeply problematic. That, that's kind of the fundamental issue with that. He's also – and this is not just something that uh, me as a professor I think is put off by. He's failing to make necessary distinctions. You know, He keeps saying the Bible didn't exist until you know, the fourth century. And basically saying the Bible doesn't exist until the church collected all of the documents together and put their authoritative stamp on. These are the ones. That's Mm -hmm. when the Bible came to exist. Well, that's just entirely misleading because Jesus believed in the Bible. In other words, the scriptures, the Old Testament. The Old Testament existed way before the 4th century AD. And I would add – the writings of the early Christians were recognized as authoritative. Paul's letters were recognized as authoritative mm-hmm. right from the start. These gospel accounts, when they were written by either an apostle or someone associated with them, were acknowledged and recognized as authoritative well before the fourth century. You have evidence of this. Of a well, and just, just to outline some of the evidence, uh, Peter refers to Paul's writings. Is that the, at the end of Second Peter? At the end yes. of Second Peter. Refers to Paul's writing as scripture. Yes, um, there there seems to be uh, other other evidences as well that uh, 
by the sheer fact that we have them, yeah. right? That that these were copied and sent along to different churches. Well, let me throw one more in there. Yeah. In Second Timothy, so sorry, First Timothy, Paul talking about paying, um, having monetary compensation for for elders who teach. He quotes Deuter- a passage from Deuteronomy. He says, "For Scripture says, you should not muzzle the ox while he's threshing." That's a passage from Deuteronomy. Sure. And the worker is worthy of his wages. That's a quote from Luke's gospel. And this is Paul quoting Luke's gospel as scripture that early. Yeah. And so it gives this impression that there were no really authoritative documents about the life of Jesus. No no books of the what we call the Bible that either existed or were considered authoritative until Constantine comes along in the 4th century and goes, "All right guys, you guys figure out which ones are authoritative and then we'll go from there." Mm-hmm. That's just he knows better. So, what's what's the danger? What's the trap of this kind of thinking? Like what does this lead to us Re, you know, le, does this lead us to re-question what books should be considered authoritative? Like, does it cause us to go like, well, when Paul says that, we don't really need to listen to that. You know, like what what's what's the danger? Well, yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, in addition to what I said earlier about you can't know Jesus apart from the Bible, sure. it's it fundamentally undermines our trust in God's word. And it invites us to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like the Gospels. I really like what this says about Jesus. But man, that Paul, he was a misogynistic pig. Let's kind of cut that out and get rid of that. Or the Old Testament. Gosh, brutal God back there. Let's just kind of get rid of that. And honestly, it's consistent with um, – I forget the name of the book that Andy Stanley wrote on this. But he wrote a book about the Old Testament on basically how Christians should – unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. And so it's consistent with, given the most favorable reading of what he's saying, he's trying to say, look, don't get hung up on all of the apologetic issues connected with defending the Bible. Talk about Jesus. Okay, there's there's a part of me that says there's an element of truth in that. That if I'm sharing the gospel with people, I want to get them focused on who is Jesus. Mm -hmm. But what I don't want to do in the meantime is undermine their trust in the Bible because even if I get them to see Jesus, then what I've done is created a sort of pick-and-choose option for them to say, well, you can kind of pick and choose what you want out of the Bible. And you're under no obligation to uh, accept it as God's word, to hear it as God's word, to surrender to it, to submit to it, to obey it. Um, the name of the book is Irresistible. There you go. The name of his book, uh, where he questions, not questions the authority of the Old Testament, but wants to kind of let it fade into the background and get rid of it, is yeah. is, is the Old Testament. Yeah. Or uh, Irresistible is the name of that book. Yes. Um, I, I, I think this is one natural conclusion to even that sort of ministry philosophy that he has, just sort of this whatever works, this sort of uh, yeah. pragmatism mm-hmm. that's come. Uh, and Andy Stanley was, I think, a fairly early adopter in that movement. Uh, yeah. But when, you're, when your organizing principle is whatever works, you lose some of the uh, ideologies and some of the principles that we've had handed down to us from history. Mm-hmm. Uh, like 
inerrancy, uh, like the infallibility of Scripture, yeah, um, those sorts of things, uh, in order to, well, you know, the Old Testament isn't really working for us, so let's get rid of it because our real organizing principle is yeah. pragmatism. Yeah, um, and and I I think that's that's where uh, that's where I, I that's where I see this all coming from. Well, and it it seems a little ironic to me that um, you, you want to point people to Jesus and yet you want to reject Jesus' view of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at what Jesus does, and you know, I'm sure the argument comes back. Well, he was interacting with the Jewish crowd and such. Okay, sure, yeah, but that that doesn't mean that he just jettison would jettison the scriptures mm-hmm. and even the early Christians even as they're moving out into uh, non-Jewish areas they are still pointing people back to what we call the Old Testament and saying look Jesus is the fulfillment of this God made these promises Jesus is the fulfillment of this so I think that and I mean even the Gospel of Luke which he's about to preach through it is, shot through with Old Testament allusions, echoes, quotations, themes, structures that – can you understand it without those? Yeah, I think you can. You can understand the gospel mm-hmm. of Luke at a basic level. But Luke didn't include those just for the – I'm going to throw a bone to the really intellectual people who really want to dig in. Yeah, he, He's doing it because it's part of the view of, of world history that – God is fulfilling promises and that Jesus is the answer to what Adam broke. And that's a fundamental human problem, not just a Jewish problem. So I I, I get weary with these attempts, even if I give the most well-meaning spin. Let me give another example where I think he, he plays fast and loose with he knows better. He, he makes a big deal about – so Luke's gospel is introduced as being uh, written – for Theophilus. And um, you read any decent commentary on Luke, and you it becomes very clear that the vast majority of commentators think that Theophilus was a real person who f- helped fund the production of this gospel account. Like pay, paid for Luke's Paid for travel, Luke's time, food. travel, research, etc. Yeah. And, and with the intention of distributing it, Mm -hmm. of making copies of it, of publishing it. That's what a literary patron would do. And yet Andy Stanley makes it seem like, yeah, Luke's writing this gospel for one guy, and Luke had no idea that it would be spread throughout the the Mediterranean world. And and, and that gets to something that I I struggle with, and and history is is a tricky subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, To know the mind and intention of a person in history— is next to impossible unless they have a book telling you what they're th- – unless they have some writings. Like uh-huh. like we know what uh, uh, Julius Caesar's thinking because Julius Caesar wrote a lot about what he was thinking and doing and, and processing and yeah. going through. We don't have that with Luke. And so I think, it's a, I think it's a little – I think it's an overstep to say this is what Luke was thinking. This is what Luke was doing. Well, I mean be – I mean he does give his opening statement of this is what he did to produce this gospel account. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm just. But for Andy to go, he's only doing it for one person. He never intended this to be distributed. I think is an overstep. Yes, and not only an overstep, but one that 
he knows is out of line with scholarship on the Gospel of Luke and not just from an evangelical perspective. Like this is a wide – like this Mm -hmm. is the predominant view that Luke – like they intended to distribute this gospel, not just, you know, oh, one guy wanted it, so he got it and lo and behold, miraculously just started getting passed around. It doesn't miraculously just start mysteriously getting passed around. Luke's a long book. Yeah. It's not something that you knock out in an afternoon of copying and be like, eh. it's not like Philemon where you're like, okay, I can make a copy of that. And like, I get two or three done today. Yeah. yeah. And, and pass these around. And, and I just want to come back to he knows better because he's been seminary trained. He knows better. So he's playing fast and loose with – the evidence he's playing fast and loose in an effort and again this is this is where i say he is well intentioned he wants people to encounter jesus mm-hmm. but if you do it in the wrong way you might clear out obstacles to getting people to see jesus but you've only created obstacles on the other side of them encountering the jesus you present that are just going to be uh, as problematic if not more on the back side of it so I, I – this I, we could go on for a couple hours about this. We could. I was pretty worked up yesterday. I was listening to this. So Yeah, you were pretty um, fired up. You were texting me about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that was hot take enough for my, for my son Jake who was like, I need to see this version of you on the podcast tomorrow. It wasn't mm. quite – this is a little bit more restrained, but uh, it's there. It's okay. There. So uh, we'll post the link uh, to the sermon. Yeah. Just decide for yourself. Listen along. Uh, it's – uh, crafted in about 35 minutes, so uh, yeah. easily digestible, no commercial yes. breaks. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. You should be able to get it in a regularly programmed schedule. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we uh, let's move on. Let's uh, do it. So March 15th. March 15th. Ides of March. The Ides of March. I didn't have Julius Caesar being uh, assassinated down on the – because yeah. it's not really a sports event, but – yeah, I mean, there were a lot of participants. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and read through what we got? Yeah, 1912, uh, Cy Young retires from baseball with 511 wins. That's one of those sports records that will absolutely never be touched. Yeah, I mean, just based on the way pitching's going, where yeah. it's like six, seven innings in a cloud of dust, you know. Yeah. We might struggle to, f- to have another 300 game yeah. winner at this stage. Yeah, in I don't know. The way the baseball's played. Yeah, I wonder who is closest right now. Anyway. Yeah. Um, 62, Wilt Chamberlain first to score 4,000 points in an NBA season. Okay. Uh, 1988, the year of my birth, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, the NFL St. Louis Cardinals, uh, officially moved to Phoenix. Yeah. That's wild to think about. There were two St. Louis Cardinals for a time. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Uh, 2015, just a, just a few, six years ago. um, Seven. Is it seven years? Oh, gosh. It's not 2022. Oh, yeah. gosh. I'm still not used to that. Uh, number six, Wisconsin beat Michigan State uh, 80-69 in overtime to win the Big Ten tournament, uh, holding the spot, the Spartans scoreless in overtime. Yeah. Um, what do you like? Um, I would probably lean towards Cy Young. That's kind of the way I was going as well. Uh, 511 wins is a lot of wins. Yeah. Uh, and you're – like I said – that that is, it's safe to say that record will never be broken. It's just, it's hard to envision baseball changing back to something where a pitcher p- 
pitches that many games that, you know, now with guys pitching on five days rest. Some teams are going to a six-man rotation. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays are having openers. Have you seen this? Instead of no. closers, they, they have their best pitcher go first, like their closer go first, and you deal with the three or four best hitters, and then you put in your starter. So just for like one inning? Just for an inning or two, yeah. That's weird. And that way, because usually those top three or four guys, if they get through through the order a third time, they figure out a pitcher. Right. And so that resets the clock a little bit on when they see the starter. Okay. That's interesting. It's called an opener. <laughs> okay. So, but then do those same teams have closers then as well? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So you have an opener and then your starter. Starter, your continuer. <laughs> continuer, yeah. Your sustainer, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. You want to go with Cy Young? Yeah, let's do Cy Young. Okay, let's do that. Uh, one thing you liked? Uh, last week in Atlanta, I mean, there were a lot of things I could have chosen, uh, but I chose probably the weirdest one uh, for your enjoyment. Uh I had a delicious salted caramel vegan donut next to a Buddhist temple called Revelations Donuts. Okay. So many questions. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, let me rattle that off one more time. Yeah. Place called Revelations Donuts next to a Buddhist temple, and I had a salted caramel vegan donut. Where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> and it was delightful. It was very, very good. Okay. Let's start with the um, – Let's start with the concept of a vegan donut. Mm-hmm. I, I was not aware that meat was in. So vegan is any animal byproduct. So eggs, no eggs, no eggs. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, and I chose salted caramel. It happened to be vegan. I see. So this was not a, an intentional choice to go vegan on your part. It was just that sounds the best in terms of salted caramel. Yeah, I think about ninety percent of them were vegan. So. You know, if you didn't want to go vegan, your options were limited. Okay. And this place was called Revelations? Revelations Donuts. Plural. Yeah. So not – this was not a – this is not a, a mom-and-pop Christian little donut shop trying to throw shade at the local uh, Buddhist temple. No, no, no. In fact, the Buddhist nun I was interacting with goes, oh, my goodness, those donuts are delicious. Okay. And their coffee is very good is what she also said. Okay. So, um, more questions, but it wasn't associated with the Buddhist temple either. It was not. They just happened to be next door to each other. I see. The Buddhist temple was really just a storefront. Um, it was not ornate. It was not. I mean, there were, there were a couple of Buddhist idols in there, Buddhas, um, but there was there was no uh, there was no like. So, do you think this is some like shell company? There's some nefarious money laundering going on behind the front of a donut store. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I, I mean, it's just – it's in a strip mall. It's okay. not – It's not. I'm just saying it's not a uh, – it's – don't think of it as like a palace or like a, like a, like a big gold temple sure. with a dome or anything. Okay. It's, just, it's just a storefront with a donut shop next door. Okay. All right. And the donut shop was, was delicious. Okay. Yeah, absolutely delicious. Salted caramel vegan donut from Revelations Donuts next to a Buddhist temple in Atlanta, Georgia. Did you have coffee there? I did. It was very good. It was good coffee. Okay. Because you mentioned off air that your coffee experience in Atlanta was a little disappointing overall. Overall, yeah. There were no – that was probably the only local shop I went to. Um, everywhere else, it was it was 
couldn't get a good cup. Although I did go to Refuge Coffee, uh, which is a coffee shop in Atlanta. It was very good coffee. It was probably the best cup I had there. And it was, I should have had that. Oh my goodness. Uh, it was a Refuge Coffee run by refugees entirely. Oh, it was pretty cool. Okay. Gotcha. Well, my, my one thing is far less exotic, but I might argue more historically substantial. Sure. That's that's fine. Is that fair? Yeah, I I think that's fine. Okay. My yeah. wife and I celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary this past week. So uh, grateful for uh, 26 years of marriage with her. And uh, I think it is fair to say she is our biggest pod fan. Yeah. Yeah. If she, I don't get the episode up right at one o'clock, you I get usually get a, I get a text or something comes through you <laughs> yes. from her. So yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. So uh, there you go. Well, it's good to be back in the studio with you, John. Last week's episode we recorded early, so it's been a little while. It's been a minute. Yeah. It has. Um, we have talked uh, sports in terms of baseball's back. The evil emperor Tom Brady is back. Uh, NCAA tournament brackets are up. Please make sure you check the show notes and join our bracket challenge again if you win. We will send you an author, uh, a signed copy of one of my books, and maybe you'll talk me into the dissertation. Who knows? Oh I'll, I'll, I'll crack the door. I might have a few copies laying around somewhere. Wow. I don't even have a copy of the dissertation. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we talked Andy Stanley and how, um, yeah, problematic that sermon was about mm-hmm. uh, knowing Jesus apart from the Bible, essentially. And we talked Cy Young setting a record that will never be broken in baseball. And we talked about a salted caramel vegan donut. Yep. Uh, from a coffee, from a donut shop called Revelations. Next to? Next to a Buddhist temple. That's right. Okay. All right. I think we got it. In Atlanta, Georgia. I think if any episode embodies the various <laughs> and sundry ethos, it's this. So uh, are you ready to call Mission Accomplished? I think so. All right. All that's left to say is until next time. The Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.